Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So today, I want to wrap up our series that we've been doing here for the last several weeks called Outfitted by Jesus. And we've been talking about all these different facets of kingdom life or living a life in Christ. You know, the goodness, the grace, the love, the forgiveness, the healing, the peace, and all these things. And, you know, we really, we could do a 50-some week series on this if we wanted to study it all, but we just don't have time for that, right? You're like, give me something new. I'm American. Give me something new. But, but the point is, I, I believe that this series has hopefully helped you to see the truth that you're outfitted by Jesus for every facet of life, for every single thing that you need in life. Said, been taking this main scripture out of Luke 24, 29, when Jesus actually said, God will give you the promise. What was the promise? It was the Holy Spirit. And he said, you will be endued with what? Power from on high. Now, what we've been seeing in this is that word endued literally means to be clothed with, to be covered with. But the word power, this is so cool, it means what? Ability. It means strength. It means virtue. And so if you haven't walked away with anything else from the series, I want you to understand this about yourself, that we are clothed with the ability, the strength, and the virtue necessary to live out resurrected life to live a brand new life in Christ. Why? Because we're outfitted by Jesus. So this morning as we continue, I want to talk more specifically about the fact that we are outfitted for redemption. Say redemption. Redemption. Now, if you've gone to church for any amount of time, pretty common word, right? I'm redeemed, there's redemption, all these types of things. But I want to really look into this today. So to start today, I want to look at a scripture verse that's it's kind of obscure. It's one that, you know, you may not have really heard before. It's kind of out there, but I'm a pastor. I study a lot. I like to dig. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 3 and verse 16, because that's a verse that most of us don't know, right? Being a little facetious this morning, but this verse is one of those verses that you see at the end of the football field on TV, you, you hear it all the time. I mean, people who don't even go to church, they know John 3.16. They've seen John 3.16 before. But I, I believe that there's so much power. There's the gospel, redemption. It's wrapped up in this verse. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the what? The world? God so loved the world? Hmm. It's interesting. One thing I love about this is it doesn't say for God loved. It doesn't say for God liked, for God put up with. It says for God, say it with me, so loved. So loved is kind of like that feeling you have for your kids. The so loves. I use this example quite a bit, but it's just the truth. When my children were born, it was... I don't know how you could love something so much. Like literally, I, the anticipation of nine, in your case, honey, about 10 months. <laughs> we had some big boys. Thanks, Jonathan. <laughs> but, you know, when they, were, when they were born, I mean, the anticipation of leading up to this was just amazing. But the day they were born, it's like I could barely see through the tears of just joy and excitement in the so loves. 
I was head over heels in love. Do we ever think about that when we read this scripture about God? For God was so head over heels for the world. Most of us don't. Because we read scriptures, we get so used to them, it just becomes religious and normal. I want us to get away from that. When we read scripture, sometimes I want us to say, okay, Holy Spirit, help me to see through this something new, something, something refreshing, something different. What, what does this truly mean? Not just to come up with some new thing that's off the wall, but, but in, in cases like this, for God so loved, was so head over heels for the world that he gave. What did love cause him to do? To give. Same thing with my kids. Even when they don't deserve things, I'm like, I mean, I'm looking for every opportunity to go, I just want to give them this. I, 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 know they, I know they don't deserve it, but I just want to give something to them. Come on. Are you with me this morning? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. How many know this, that God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We could literally say God gave himself. And I mean, you can go back in the archives and you can listen to you know, several different messages on that. I believe that God was with Jesus on the cross. That there's no time that there was a separation. I know some people think, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was Jesus saying God literally was not with him, but he was actually quoting Psalm 22. That's how he felt. But by the end of this song, think about this, a rabbi singing a song at the most excruciating, horrific point of his life people around him would probably go, he's singing a song, should we join in? We're supposed to when the rabbi sings. I mean, this is just like blowing my mind right now. But in that psalm, we see that God never hid his face from him. It's a package deal. This is beautiful to me. But why, out of this love, did he give himself so that everyone who believes in him will not perish? Say perish. This is the same word that's used in the gospel of Luke chapter 15. In the Greek, it means to be lost. And then Jesus tells a story about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. God didn't want you to be lost. He wanted you to find who you were. Look at this, but have what? Eternal life. To the Jew, this didn't just mean everlasting life in the future. Listen, be absent from the body to be present with the Lord, but eternal life to a Jew was the highest level of living right here and right now. They would live according to the Torah to have eternal life, the best life here and now. They would ask questions of Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? They weren't talking about the, 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 the sweet by and by. To most Jews, that wasn't even on their mind. To be Afterlife wasn't a big deal to them as much as living the best life now. I think we need to kind of take that to heart. Because sometimes we're, all we look for is, one of these days, sweet Jesus, come take us away now. That's great. I, I, anticipation for being with God. But, but what about the here and now? I, I believe there's a kingdom that we're supposed to be expanding. That is, the, the world needs hope and love and grace and goodness. Come on. So I'm excited to be here. I'm not in a hurry to die and get away from here. I'm like, there's so much to do here. Come on. I mean, maybe that sounds weird from a pastor, but I'm just telling you, I love planet Earth. I love people. I love Jesus. I love the kingdom. I want to see it expand. I want to see some change of minds and hearts and attitudes so people begin to walk according to the true person God has made them to be. That makes sense. But look at this. I love verse 17. It gives us context. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. Now that's some like mind 
mind-boggling thing there because, I mean, depending on what you've heard, God's judging us all the time, but that's not why he sent him. Why? He sent him so that the world might be saved. There's that word we've been talking about, sozo, sozoed. Deliverance, preservation, safety, restoration, healing, redemption. It's all wrapped up in this. I really want us to get this this morning before we actually get into kind of where we're going. I want us to see that God is head over heels for the entire world. Not just you because you're here on a Sunday morning. It's great that you're here on a Sunday morning. It's great that you're tuning in on a Sunday morning to hear something that encourages you, I believe, to live the best version of your life you can. Be the best follower of Jesus that you can be. Jesus said that they'll know that you're my disciples by your love for one another, that we actually mature and grow to this place where we're loving any and everyone, just like Jesus did. In fact, I love this in the Mirror Bible, John 3, 16, it says, the entire cosmos is the object of God's affection, and he is not about to abandon his creation. The gift of his son is for mankind to realize their origin in him, who mirrors their authentic birth, begotten out of flesh, but of what? The Father. Look at this. In this persuasion, the life of the ages echoes within the individual and announces that the days of regret, and look at this, and sense of lostness are over. It's time to awaken to who we are. Can I get an amen this morning? For God so loved the world. Listen, God can't help himself. He won't ever stop loving you. This is who God is. It's what he does because it's who he is. And then I love what the apostle Paul says in Romans. He says, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Those who didn't even know, right? Look at this. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for the good person, someone would even dare to die. What are they saying? They're saying, listen, someone might die for someone who's a pretty good dude, a pretty good, you know, uh, friend, a good, pretty good person, or and perhaps maybe for someone who is, you know, decent. But look at this. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. How does he demonstrate? In that while we were, while, while I'm sorry, while we were still sinners, we could say, operating outside of our true identity, what happened? Christ died for us. See, this just takes it up to a whole nother level, doesn't it? This isn't about, I take a bullet for you because I love you so much. It's like, no, I will die for you, even knowing you may not reciprocate. That's true love. Perfect example of love right there. So today I want to talk about redemption. Say that word with me, redemption. Say it again, redemption. We have been outfitted for redemption. Now I know you're, I want you to get antsy. I've got my communion cup. We're going to be receiving it at the end today. So keep that with you. If you're watching online, make sure you grab your communion elements because we'll participate together remembering Jesus. Outfitted for redemption. So Today, I want to get kind of into the, the meat of where we're going. Just take the next few minutes. And I want to talk about this story. It's about 750 years before Jesus shows up to planet Earth. And there was this prophet. His name was Hosea. He's sandwiched somewhere in the Old Testament between Ezekiel and Joel. Maybe you haven't heard a whole lot about Hosea. 
But I don't, I don't know if you realize this. When you read through the prophets, every single prophet really had a peculiar calling to their life. But there's no calling as odd, can I say weird, and peculiar than that of Hosea. Hosea's calling from God as a prophet, hear me, was to marry a prostitute. Hallelujah. Did pastor just say that? Yes. His calling in life was to marry a prostitute. Now don't turn off on me. We're going somewhere with this because this story is absolutely beautiful. So his calling was to marry a prostitute. Now he marries her. Things were going well at first. You know, typical marriage. They end up having one kid and then it was a son. Then they had a daughter and then another son. Three kids. You know, Hosea was probably like, well, I guess this wasn't as bad. I mean, when God first said, hey, I, I need you. See the girl in the corner down there? Yeah, I see her say every day. She's down there walking the streets. Yeah, in the red light district? Yeah, yeah. I want you to marry her. What, God? What, what are you talking about? But he marries her. They have three children. And everything is going pretty good, not so bad. Until one morning he wakes up and his wife, whose name is Gomer, by the way. How many, how many are getting ready to name their newborn daughter Gomer. When I was growing up, if you were called a gomer, usually related to Gomer Pyle. What a gomer. But that, that was her name. Golly, there you go. Thanks, Maggie. But her name's Gomer. I just want to get that out of the way so you can laugh a little bit, and then we can get back into the seriousness of the word. But he wakes up one morning, and she's not in the bed. And so, of course, he's like, well, maybe she's in the bathroom. So he gets up, and he goes to the bathroom. She's not there. Maybe she's in the kitchen. Maybe she got hungry in the middle of the night. He goes into the kitchen. She's not there. Well, man, she must be in the kids' rooms then. She checks all three rooms, and there's, there's no Gomer to be found. She's nowhere to be found. He doesn't know where she is. Can you imagine what Hosea was going through at this moment? He can't find his wife. He's got three kids at home. I mean, think about this. He's probably one of the most famous people in all of Israel. He is the prophet. Everyone knows. It isn't like he can just hide out and go, well, maybe no one will know. No, this is the prophet. This is the prophet who proclaims the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Where's your wife? Where, where'd she go, Hosea? So he wakes up. His wife's gone. He's a single parent of three children. It must be devastating. I mean, here he is, a beacon of hope for Israel, and he can't even keep his wife at home. But what's interesting is God does something Completely mind-blowing. Imagine that. Let's look at this. I want to pick up in Hosea chapter 3 and verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, this is Hosea, writing what the Lord said to him. What? Go and love your wife again. What? what? Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. The actual literal translation is go and love a woman who commits adultery with another lover in the very act right now. Wait a minute. What, what, what's going on here, God? What, what are you asking of me? Look what he says. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Now, I think it's beginning to open up and you're beginning to see something here, but let me tell you what, I am so glad I wasn't Hosea. Thanks for the example, but I don't want to be the example, right? So what happens? So I bought her back <laughs> for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Wow. Do you see what God asked of Hosea? 
Do you see Hosea's response to obey and follow through? This is crazy to me. One scholar says that other than the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection story of Jesus, he says that the story of Hosea and Gomer is the greatest expression and demonstration of unconditional and immense love from God in all of Scripture. Second only to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. God says, Hosea, yeah, go look for her. Now, in my mind, I like to read this and pause for a minute and imagine what's in between. Because it doesn't say, but he's known as the prophet to Israel. He's the holy man. He's God's chosen one. And now he has to go to the deepest, darkest, seediest areas of town to find her. He goes down to the red light district. We don't know where that is, right? Or what that is. Hopefully not where, guys. Don't answer out loud. We know what that is, right? He has to go to this area to find her. Can you imagine what happens as he's down there? I mean, as he's walking along, people aren't like, hey, I wonder who that guy is. No, like, Hosea's down here. What's he doing now? Did he see me, <laughs> right? Why is Hosea down here in this area of town? What was that like? Could you imagine going up to a guy and saying, hey, uh, I just wonder, man, uh, have you seen Gomer? Now, this guy, I mean, he might be like, uh, yeah, dude, sorry. Um, I didn't know you guys were still together. Uh, but I did see her a couple blocks up there at the corner. I want you to really get a sense of the shame and the embarrassment that Hosea had to go through. And so he's searching around town, but he finally finds her. And when he finds her, she's on a selling block being sold in the sex slave industry. Scholars actually believe that Hosea walked into an auction. Now, can you imagine walking into an auction in this seedy area of town and there's your wife on, on the auction block? And you say to the guy who's running things, hey, uh, listen, man, I, whether you believe it or not, that, that's my wife. Now, how many know that we don't live in the time of Hosea? Okay, so when I say this, don't trip out on me. Don't cancel me. <laughs> but in this time, the husband owned the wife. Does that make sense? They owned the wife. So I imagine him saying, hey, uh, she's mine. What was the guy's response? Well, obviously, it was, yeah, I don't know who you think or what you think she is, but I own her, and the only way you're getting her back is if you purchase her. So what does he do? He buys back his wife. I don't know if I could do that. I'm just being completely honest. I think this would be a really tough thing for me to do. So he ends up paying, what, 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley, and a measure of wine. Now, again, sometimes we, we read over stuff, and it's so easy just to go, yeah, yeah, 15 pieces of silver, five bushels. It makes sense, I guess. Yeah, back then they would trade, and they would just do weird things like that. We, we just use cash money, or most of us a credit card, so we can pay on it and pay interest, because that's fun. But he pays with silver, barley, and wine. Now, why is this significant? Because to the Jews, numbers were very significant. Symbolism was very prevalent in the scripture. So think about this, 15 pieces of silver. You know that 15 is significant in Hebrew because it means priestly blessing? It actually speaks to the divine energy between God and humanity. 
Do you know that he, he paid five bushels of barley? You know that five in the Hebrew is the number of grace? There's just some cool symbols here. Now, he paid with silver, which represents divinity. And he paid with barley, representing the earthly or humanity. Come on, can you not see the gospel in this? This is huge. And then think about the wine. To a Jew, wine is associated with life, with God's blessing and God's kingdom. He was willing to pay whatever the price for her. But Hosea, she's already yours. You already own her. I know, I know. But I'll pay anything for what's already mine. This is the gospel right here, folks. God purchased us with his very life. The divinity within the humanity spilled out the wine and the blood for you and for me. And guess what? You were already his Redemption is right here within this story. That's what God did. God paid for what was already his. The story is so beautiful to me, but it gets better. Not only did he buy back what was his, because, you know, I mean, he could have bought her back and said, fine, I was obedient to what God said, but you can go stay in the barn. Come on, Right? Guys in the doghouse, girls in the barn. I don't know how that works. But what does he do? He renews his vows with her. He renews covenant with her. Can you see the parallels here? He could have stoned her. That's right. But look at this in verse three. And he said to her, this is a renewal of vows. You shall stay with me many days and you shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be toward you. In other words, we're renewing our vows together. I'm wiping the slate clean between you and I. Such a powerful picture. Of course, I read that and I'm like, dude, (laughs) I don't know if I could have done that. But then he goes on to prophesy. This is beautiful. He's a prophet, right? He goes on to prophesy the future. Now, how many know that we're in the future and we can read scripture and we can even see the, his future, right? In the New Testament, the New Covenant. Look at verse four. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. In other words, this is all religious terms that they're going to go through some stuff. They're going to be in captivity. They won't be able to worship and sacrifice and go to temple. None of that will be able to happen. But look at verse five. Afterward, say afterward. The children of Israel shall return, this is so cool, and seek the Lord their God, and who? David their king. Now, one thing we have to understand here is he is saying David. How many are familiar with King David? Now, you got to understand, these prophets many times would prophesy. They would speak of the future, but they could only go as far as they could understand or know or what was revealed to them. If you're not familiar with this, David was actually symbolism for the Masonic king. So what literally he's saying without knowing it is, you shall return and seek the Lord your God and Jesus your king. 
Jesus was in the, the lineage of David. Are you following me here? Why is this so big? Because look at this. They shall fear. We just talked about this today, Pastor Kristen. They should what? Reverence and awe the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Say the latter days. Now, this isn't talking about like the beast and the number and all that. This is speaking of times to come. He's prophesying that this day will come when all men, all people, all nations will return to the Lord through the Messiah King, Jesus. Now, if you're not familiar with this, God had this covenant between Israel and himself. But the covenant wasn't meant just for them for all of time. God's intention was it, with Israel was to show him how great of a God he was so that every nation would become jealous of how good their God had, how good they had it because of their God. And eventually say, can I be part of this system? Well, like most systems, empire, religious systems, what happens? We begin to kind of create our own religion. We start to, uh, you know, put up walls and barriers and keep people out. And unfortunately, that's what Israel did. So Jesus showed up on the scene and welcomed everyone to the table, which really irritated the religious community. But this has always been God's heart. This has always been his intention. But why would he draw all men to him? so that they'll have reverence and awe for him and his goodness. They'll see his goodness. It reminds me of a scripture that says that the goodness or the kindness of the Lord draws or leads us to repentance or change of mind. It's not screaming and yelling at you from a pulpit. It's not convincing you of how horrible you are. It's the goodness. It's the kindness. Every, every time I've had true heart change myself, whether it be in a relationship with God or anyone else, it was always love and kindness and goodness that worked the best. Fear can work. Manipulation can work for a time. I think I said this last week, but you know, if you're born out of fear, I'm glad you're in a relationship with God, but you're gonna ha- it's going to take some time to get out of that fear mode. And then your, your whole relationship with God is based on fear. But when you're born of love, man, love will motivate like nothing else will. More than fear, more than shame, more than manipulation, love will motivate you. The goodness of the Lord draws us or leads us to repentance. Now think about this story. Who is Hosea? Who's he represent? Represents God or Jesus. You know that the word Hosea in the Hebrew means salvation? He literally represents everything that we have spoke of for the last several weeks. Salvation. So, soteria, right? It's the, the preservation, safety, healing, wholeness, peace, peace of mind, healing in your body. Do you see this? Now, who's Gomer? <laughs> You're such a gomer. That's right, it's us. It's me, it's, it's you. But do you know that the word gomer, even though it sounds kind of gomerish in Hebrew, it means completion. Come on, somebody. Now, we've all seen Jerry Maguire. Come on, right? You complete me. This here 
kind of made me step back because I'm like, oh, it means completion. And then it hit me. I went, wait, 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 God. Okay, wait, wait. What you're saying is that we complete you? Okay, the God of the universe who needs nothing and no one, at least I think, is saying, no, no, I need you. You complete me. And I say, you had me at hello. No. (laughs) But think about this. Because sometimes I I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to take God lightly. But I also don't want us to walk in such fear. Because some people say, well, God is a holy God. Absolutely, but what's your definition of holy? It just means set apart. He's different than every other God. Oh, okay. It doesn't take away. Actually, I think it makes it so much more beautiful that he's different than every other God, especially in this time. I mean, in other cultures around Israel, they were offering their children in fires to God's. We're like, that's barbaric. That's all they knew. And we think, well, Israel was like slaughtering animals on altars. I know, barbaric for now, yeah. For then, it was a giant leap forward from child sacrifice. We, we got to see the journey and the progression. What God was doing was trying to change people's minds, but you can't do it overnight. I mean, to just display the whole plan of redemption and Jesus would have blew their minds. They would have went, I don't know, I can't even handle this. So he worked within the sacrificial systems they understood. I mean, every culture had temples and covenants and arcs of covenants and gods they would worship. I mean, God just would set out some parameters though. No human sacrifice ever. The law stated, uh uh-uh, unlawful, right? When we read the Ten Commandments, sometimes we just see these these archaic things in stone, but it meant things. I mean, when God said, you know, to not make graven images, it wasn't because he was like, I can't believe you made a graven image. Look at me over here. I need your worship. No, it was because God wanted you to awaken to the fact that you are his image, not stone and wood. It's so much better than that. And so there's so many ways we could go with that, but can you see how God wanted this relationship with Israel to eventually saturate and permeate the entire world. And that's why Jesus came to open the table to everyone. In the gospel of Matthew, Jesus has a run-in with the religious leaders. Pretty common thing, right, Bruce? Has this run-in with the religious leaders. And it's funny because they, a lot of times they don't question Jesus. They question the disciples, right? They don't really want to talk to Jesus. Be like, hey, Peter, come here. You seem like a loud mouth, come here right? I got a question for you. Yeah, what's the question? Why would your master dine with such low lives and scum? Why does he dine with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes? What is, and it's funny, in this, in this story, it says that they were indignant and they kept asking, why does Jesus do this? It wasn't a one-time thing. It was a continually, here he goes again, hanging out with the prostitutes, tax collectors. What's he going to do next? I guess everyone, nothing matters anymore. Kind of sounds like, you know, the accusations you get when you say God is full of love and grace, right? Oh, okay, okay, anything goes. According to what I read, when people hang with Jesus, their life changes for the better, not the worst, right? So he has us running with religious leaders and they're asking these questions and he says, guys, 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 
I don't know how many times I have to go through this, but you know that it's not the well who need a doctor, it's the sick. But then do you know what he says next? Matthew 9, verse 13. He says, now you should go and study the meaning of this verse. In other words, he's like, um, maybe you should go back and do some study in your Bible. <laughs> we just were like, oh, Jesus. No, no, he's telling them, maybe you should go back and study the Torah a little better. And uh, who does he quote next? Hosea. He says, I want you to show mercy, not just offer me a sacrifice. For I have come to invite the outcasts of society and sinners, not those who think that they're already on the right path. Come on. I mean, if there were mics back then, I don't know how many mics Jesus would have broke. We're like, why did they crucify him? Do you not see? He challenged empire and religion every step of the way. Of course he was going to be crucified. That's what we do. We crucify people, right? When they stand up for kingdom living, we crucify them. Oh, man. Not literal. We just unfriend them on Facebook. We have a YouTube channel dedicated to all their heresy, and we're going to tell you why. We are talking about this yesterday. I'm like, it's just so crazy, because I've been there. When people didn't believe the way I did, I'm like, how can they be like that? I mean, even to this day, you know, hellfire and brimstone and, and certain preachers that minister such fear and guilt and condemnation to people, it, it bothers me because it's a misrepresentation, I believe, of who my father is. But this is how I, I knew at one point that I'm actually beginning to love people through the love of the father is when I can go, you know what, that's where they are. That's what they believe. I don't agree with it, but I mean, that's a crazy thing. And there's people who probably look at me and like, I can't believe you preach that, do that. But I hope they at least say, you know what? He does love Jesus. He's doing the best with what he knows and has. Because I don't know it all, folks. It's a privilege. It's an honor that you trust me. I don't take this lightly. And I do everything I can to dig into scripture and look at original language in those things so we can have a better interpretation and idea in fact, Jesus actually gave his disciples, which I would say were disciples of him, the right to do this. He says, I give you the authority. I give you the power to bind and loose. He wasn't talking about demonic you know, forces. At this time, binding and loosing was something that the rabbis did. Binding and loosing was saying, okay, this scripture means this, that means that. And then they would go, no, well, this rabbi sees it this way, back and forth. And then the rabbis even didn't agree on everything. The Jewish rabbis argued all the time, but still walked away friends. Maybe we can learn something from this. But then they had a, an interpretation of the Bible, which was called their yoke. And Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Yeah. It's just beautiful when you see this. But as we were talking yesterday, I was like, you know, there's like 40,000 Jesuses running around. So am I just going to like the 39,000 that don't agree with me? Or am I going to just love people and say, hey, we're all in different places? I mean, if you have to get everything right and perfect to spend eternity with God, I think all of us are kind of like, might as well give it up now. Because we're not going to agree. So there's got to be some level of grace and leeway. There's got to be a curve somewhere where God's like, hey, you did your best, but you believed in Jesus. You did your best to follow him, even with some really whacked out theology. Thanks a lot. You know, he might say that to me. But the thing at the end of the day is we've got to give people grace. I'm just going all over off the notes today. 
He says, I want you to show mercy, not just offer me a sacrifice, for I've come to invite the outcasts of society and sinners. Do you see the invite, full open invitation, not those who think they're already on the right path. Just another little way to say, hey guys, you might not have it all together like you think. We need to be humble with this stuff, don't we? But what is Jesus saying here? The, the ramifications are huge. It's not that you said, hey, maybe you need to go study your Bible better. It's not just that he was saying that everyone's included and welcome to the table. They can accept or reject it. I, I give an open invitation. He literally is saying, I am your Hosea. I'm doing exactly what the prophet did. It was a foreshadowing of me, my life, what I stand for, who I am. What a powerful moment for those who were listening to Jesus then. And what a powerful moment for us right now. This should change our mentality to witnessing and soul winning and how we do life. It really should. And it took a lot of pressure off me when I realized that I don't have to fix you because I got some fixing on my own I got to do. But I don't have to fix everybody who comes through those doors or watches online. That I don't save anyone. I don't sozo anyone. God does. But I certainly can take this the story, this story of redemption. I've been outfitted for redemption, not just for myself, but for others. Look at this. The Apostle John says in 1 John 4, 10 and 11, he said, in this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Look at this. Beloved, if God so loved us, say that with me. If God so loved us, and does he? Mm -hmm. A lot of times the if is just following up like the facts that were just stated. He's saying, okay, so if God so loved us, what do we do? Also love one another. In other words, guys, this is who I am. This is how I function in life. And if that's how I am towards you, this is how you need to be with others. So love one another. Bring redemption to others. You know, when I was younger, I used to search for uh, pop cans. Anyone here? Pop cans were awesome. I mean, I would look all around. Why? Well, because they're worth 10 cents each. So, I mean, I would find these things, you know, in ditches on the side of the road. I mean, just the other day. No, I'm just kidding. I don't anymore. <laughs> we actually have a buttload in our, our garage fallen over out of plastic bags that will eventually end up in the sea somewhere. That's a joke. But we try to recycle and do our best, right? It's not really a joke. But, but they're 10 cents each. And so I would find these things when I was younger in ditches, the side of the road, and fields, everywhere. Apparently, some people didn't get the memo. That's worth 10 cents. And so they would discard them. They didn't see value in that can. But I did. I mean, as a young kid, just a few of those cans, and I was set for the day with candy. Remember when candy was like a penny? Well, that's the old West, I think. But anyway, like 10 cents, like I could be set all day with candy because that was the most important thing to me. I mean, these, these soda cans, these pop cans were awesome, but people would discard them. You know, sometimes we do this with people. 
unfortunately. People will do this with people. Others may discard people. They may pass them by. They may not see the value in others. They throw them out. But here's the thing about redemption. When you realize that you're outfitted for redemption, that you've been redeemed, when you begin to see your own worth, redemption power begins to open your eyes to see the value in others. Just like I did as a six, seven, eight-year-old with the soda cans, right? We're like, well, why are people tossing them aside? See, this is the life of Jesus. He never tossed anyone aside. Everyone was welcome. I say it all the time, but this is what ticked off the religious community. You're not supposed to do that. Sinner wasn't just someone who had sinned. It was a label put on a person, which meant you can't worship that temple with us. You're an outcast. You are worthless. You aren't worthy. And Jesus was saying, no, everyone is worthy. Every person has value. You see this? So what do we do through this redemption power? It opens our eyes to see the value in others. We see the potential of others. We have hope in humanity. We see value in the vessel. And that's because we are outfitted to see value where others see worthlessness. That's part of the quality that you're clothed with. It isn't just for you. It's for others to experience as well. I want to wrap up with this final scripture in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen generation. Say, I'm chosen. chosen. A royal priesthood. Say, royal priesthood. priesthood. And holy nation. Say, holy nation. nation. Now, when you read these terms, I want you to understand that Peter's a Jew talking to people who would understand this idea of being chosen. They would understand priesthood. They would understand holy or a nation, you know, that was set apart. But look at this next part. He says, a peculiar people. Anyone read this before? When I was a kid, I think my dad, my dad when he was preaching years ago, would say things like, we're a peculiar people, so don't be surprised when people think you're weird. You know, we'd all laugh, and I was like, yeah, we're peculiar. That's what it means. But you know this word peculiar actually means purchased? I know, just looking up words, it's just... What just happened? We're a purchased people. God bought back what was already his. That's how worth it you are. You were already his. He's like, I'll pay. In fact, I'll give everything I am. I'll give my life. If you ever feel you're unworthy or worthless, it's a lie at least according to what I believe God sees in us. But why are we purchased? That you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We could even say this, out of ignorance, out of not understanding, lack of understanding, misunderstanding into this marvelous revelation of who and whose we are. And when we see this, it changes everything. Man, Pastor, I, man, I got issues. Welcome to the Issue Club. I'm glad you're here today. My name's Andy, and I have issues. We all do. But the more I awaken to my righteousness, the more I awaken to my goodness, the more I awaken to my worthiness, 
my acceptance, it changes how I speak, how I think, how I act, how I treat others, how I treat myself. It's awesome. Say this with me. I've been outfitted for redemption. Say it again. I've been outfitted for redemption. Listen, guys, you guys, you're redeemed. You have been redeemed. And you are in the business of bringing redemption to others. Can I get an amen? Awesome. Will you stand with me this morning? Go ahead and grab your communion elements. I can't think of a better time to receive communion together than after hearing of how worthy we are. You know, a lot of times when we receive communion together, we tend to remember ourselves. We tend to think about how unworthy we are to receive these elements. But who did Jesus say to remember when you receive these elements? Him. So remember, Jesus, remember your Hosea, remember your salvation this morning. And remember this, Gomer, you complete him. Isn't that cool? So as we receive this this morning, most of us are pretty familiar with the fact that, you know, Jesus at the Last Supper before he went on to the crucifixion, burial and resurrection, they were at Passover meal, which is pretty common, pretty normal. Jesus would have participated in, I don't know, maybe 33 or so of these in his life. So it wasn't anything new, but this night was new. It was different. There's something different about it. In fact, Jesus at one point says, I have been craving, I've had intense desire in the Greek, it says, to have this meal with you. Well, Jesus, it's, I mean, as I wouldn't say it's just Passover, Passover, it's a big deal. I mean, we were freed from Egypt thousands of years ago. He's like, no, no, it's more than that. Tonight, I want to initiate a brand new covenant. And so he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Say broken for me. Just close your eyes for a minute and think about that. Jesus experienced brokenness so you could experience wholeness. If there's any area in your life, whether it be in your soul, in your body, in your thinking, whatever it may be, if you know that there's some brokenness and you've been trying and you've been trying and you've been laboring and you've been trying and you've been striving to fix these things, realize that Jesus isn't asking you to fix the issue. He's saying, I want to. My body was broken so you could be made whole. So as you receive this this morning, think about that issue that I believe Holy Spirit's already showed you. But as you do, I want you to receive the body of Christ. At the same time, I want you to picture that you're receiving wholeness in that area of your life. Father, we thank you for the body of Jesus. We thank you that you were broken so we could be made whole. We receive wholeness into our life this morning in Jesus' name. Take and eat. It says that after that he took the cup, which was the wine. And it was a a normal thing that they would do, but in this occasion, Jesus says some really interesting words. He says, this is my blood. This is my blood. And it's a blood that ratifies 
it initiates a brand new covenant. It's a new relationship between God and man. One that God has always, always, always desired. We, I don't wanna get into the history of it, but when God first called Israel, he wanted to bring them to a covenant just like this. And it says that fear crept into their hearts and they basically ran from God and said, Moses, you take care of it. And so what God do? I don't wanna lose him, I don't wanna lose him. Okay, well, let, let's go with this plan. We're gonna go with this old, this is a different covenant. We'll get to the Jesus covenant. And this, this is powerful. But Jesus now is declaring a brand new covenant that will be initiated with his blood. They needed to hear this. These were very blood conscious people used to sacrifice for sin. But I want you to see this too. If you're walking around and you're feeling like that soda can that's laying in the ditch, you're feeling unworthy, nobody wants me, I'm worth 10 cents, right? If you're feeling unworthy, this morning I want you to see that you are worthy because the slate has been wiped clean. Forgiveness, I mean, there, there's nothing holding you back from relationship with God. So if God's not looking down on you, then maybe you should stop looking down on you. And so for me, at least for me, let me just talk about myself. Every time I receive this, it's a reminder of how completely forgiven I am. You know what that does? It empowers me to live a righteous life. So close your eyes with me and say, Heavenly Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. I'm completely forgiven. Past, present, and future. Nothing is holding me back from you except me in my mind. Holy Spirit, awaken me to my righteousness. Awaken me to this relationship that we have together. And today, I declare my cleanness before you. Take and drink. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Holy Spirit, be with us this week. I just pray that you would constantly remind us of our righteousness. You would constantly remind us of this incredible relationship that we have with you, that you promise never to leave us, to never forsake us. You're not going anywhere. So in times of trouble, in times of need, whatever it is, I pray that we would turn to you because you're right there and say, thank you. I can't see the answer. I, I can't see the relief. I, I don't know what to do, but I know that you do. And so I trust you. I take a step of faith to trust you in this life. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.